We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero J, and I feel fine. Yeah, my feet are out. Okay, I'm out. Well, it looks funny out there. See my glove out there, Jim. Jimmy Boy, get back in. Good morning, Gordo. Yes, I am. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? We have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, Tranquility uh, Base here. The Eagle has landed. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 76 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Tragic Prelude to Gemini 9, with Elliot C., Charles Bassett, Tom Stafford, and Gene Cernan. In October 1965, Elliot C. and Charles Bassett were selected to fly Gemini 9. Chief Astronaut Deke Slayton also told them that their backups would be Thomas Stafford and Eugene Cernan. At that time, Stafford was the co-pilot for Gemini 6. You may recall from episodes 65 through 68 that Gemini 6 could not launch because the Agena target vehicle exploded. Eventually, Gemini 6A would rendezvous with Gemini 7, but this really compressed the timetable. So, there was some question as to whether Stafford could be ready in time to serve as the backup on Gemini 9. But the prime crew, Elliot C. and Charles Bassett, and half of the backup crew, Gene Cernan, did not have time to wait for Tom Stafford. Instead, the three astronauts started training in November 1965, sandwiching their simulations between those of other crews. They followed the Gemini 9 spacecraft through its building and testing, familiarizing themselves with Gemini systems, and they helped shape a tentative flight plan. Bassett and Cernan focused on the extravehicular activities because one of them would go outside the spacecraft and ride the Air Force's Astronaut Maneuvering Unit, the AMU. The trio of astronauts interrupted their routine early in December of 1965 to work as communicators in the Houston Mission Control Center during the Gemini 7-6A mission. Then they returned to flight training. Stafford, however, had to go through his post-mission briefing before he joined them in February of 1966. Now for some background information on the prime crew of Gemini 9. First, Elliot C. Elliot McKay C. Jr. was born on July 23, 1927, in Dallas, Texas. He attended and graduated from Highland Park High School. Then, he attended the University of Texas, where he was a member of the Phi Kappa Psi fraternity. Next, he attended the United States Merchant Marine Academy, graduating with a Bachelor of Science degree in 1949. After the academy, 
He worked for General Electric Company from 1949 to 1953 and from 1956 to 1962 as a flight test engineer, group leader, and experimental test pilot. He served as project pilot on the J-79-A engine development program in connection with 4FH aircraft. He conducted power plant test flights on the J-47, the J-73, the J-79, and the CJ-805. His work involved flying in F-86s, XF-4Ds, F-104s, F-11Fs, RB-66s, FH-4s, and the T-38 aircraft. C logged over 3,700 hours flying time, including 3,200 hours in jet aircraft. In between the time C worked at General Electric, he served his country as a naval aviator from 1953 to 1956. He later earned a master's degree from UCLA. He married Marilyn Dennehy C. and had three children, Sally, Carolyn, and David. He was a member of the Society of Experimental Test Pilots and an associate fellow of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. C. was one of the nine pilot astronauts, often called the second group of astronauts, selected in September 1962. He participated in all phases of astronaut training and was subsequently given responsibility for monitoring the design and development of guidance and navigation systems. He also aided in the coordination for mission planning. C. shared an office with none other than Neil Armstrong. C. was selected as backup pilot for Gemini 5, and he was in line to fly as the prime crew pilot for Gemini 8, but instead was promoted to the command pilot of Gemini 9. That turned out to be a fateful decision. According to Chief Astronaut Deke Slayton's autobiography, the reason Slayton did not assign C to Gemini 8 was because he did not consider him physically capable of performing an extravehicular activity. Slayton further stated that he assigned C to Gemini 9 because he had become sentimental about getting him a flight. Now let's turn our attention to the pilot selected for Gemini 9, Charles Arthur Bassett II. Bassett was born in Dayton, Ohio on December 30, 1931. He was active in the Boy Scouts of America, where he achieved its second highest rank of Life Scout. After graduating from Berea High School in Berea, Ohio in 1950, he attended Ohio State University from 1950 to 1952 and Texas Technology College, now called Texas Tech University, from 1958 to 1960. He received a Bachelor of Science degree in Electrical Engineering with honors from Texas Tech. And he did graduate work at the University of Southern California. C. graduated from the Aerospace Research Pilot School and the Air Force's Experimental Test Pilot School 
and became a captain in the U.S. Air Force. He served as an experimental and engineering test pilot in the Flighter Projects Office at Edwards Air Force Base, California. He also logged over 3,600 hours flying time, including over 2,900 hours in a jet aircraft. Bassett was one of the third group of astronauts selected by NASA in October 1963. In addition to participating in the overall astronaut training program, he had specific responsibilities pertaining to training and simulators. On November 8, 1965, he was selected as pilot of Gemini 9, with Elliot C. as his command pilot. According to Chief Astronaut Deke Slayton's autobiography, he chose Bassett for Gemini 9 because he was strong enough to carry both himself and Elliot C. Slayton had also assigned Bassett as a command module pilot for the second backup Apollo crew, alongside Frank Borman and William Anders. Moving on from the biographies to the actual training of C. and Bassett. February of 1966 was a very stressful time for astronauts at NASA. Six new astronauts had just been assigned to train for the first Apollo missions, and the Gemini program still had to complete its assignment to prove Apollo would work. The astronauts were all pressing hard, staying up late, working every hour they could. No one could afford to get sick or miss a day. The flight schedule was so tight. One bright winter morning, the last day of February 1966, the Gemini 9 foursome checked into Ellington Air Force Base, Texas, for flight clearance to St. Louis in two dual-seat T-38 jet aircrafts. They planned to spend several days practicing on the rendezvous simulator at the McDonnell plant. It was a routine flight they had made many times. At Ellington, the four flyers learned that weather at Lambert Airfield in St. Louis was gloomy. 180-meter overcast, visibility 3 kilometers, light rain and fog, with little change expected. Instrument flight rules, often called IFR, would be required. This meant that the pilots would have to depend on their instruments because their vision was limited. Many pilots prefer to fly VFR, or visual flight rules because it is simpler and they can rely on their own eyes in addition to their instruments to fly and land. But IFR is routinely used, especially when weather is not ideal. Elliot C. called the St. Louis Air Traffic Controller, saying he would see them in a couple hours. He and Cernan discussed the different runways at Lambert Field in St. Louis. Then C climbed into the front seat of one of the T-38s, with Bassett easing into the back seat. Stafford and Cernan got their own plane. They took off from Ellington at 7.35 a.m. C and Bassett led, with Stafford and Cernan flying wing position. 
After reaching St. Louis just before 9 o'clock, C radioed the Lambert Field Control Tower and learned that the overcast had lifted to 240 meters since his earlier call, but the visibility had dropped to 2.4 kilometers. Light snow flurries now mixed with the rain and fog. As the aircraft descended through the overcast, shortly before 9 a.m., both pilots realized that they had missed the outer marker and overshot the runway. C elected to keep the field in sight, and he circled to the left underneath the cloud cover. Stafford began to follow C's plane, but when he lost sight of it in the clouds, he instead followed the standard procedure for a missed approach and pulled his aircraft up back into the clouds for another attempt at an instrument landing. Meanwhile, C had completed a full circle to the left at an altitude of 150 to 180 meters and announced his intention to land on the southwest runway, number 24. With landing gear down and full flaps, the plane dropped quickly but too far to the left of the runway. C turned on his afterburners to increase power while pulling up and turning hard right. Seconds later, at 8.58 a.m. Central Standard Time, the plane struck the roof of McDonnell Building 101 on the northeast side of the airport. The T-38 lost its right wing and landing gear on impact before cartwheeling and crashing into a parking lot below the building that was currently in use as a construction staging area. McDonald Building 101, known as the McDonald Space Center, was located just 300 meters from the runway. This was the building where technicians were working on the Gemini 9 spacecraft C and Bassett were scheduled to fly. Both astronauts died instantly from trauma sustained in the crash. Bassett's death was particularly gruesome. Inside Building 101, 17 McDonald employees and contractors received mostly minor injuries from falling debris. The crash set off several small fires inside the building and caused minor flooding from a number of broken pipes and sprinklers. By coincidence, C and Bassett died within 150 meters of their spacecraft. The Gemini 9 capsule was undamaged, but a piece of debris from the T-38's wing struck the unfinished Gemini 10 spacecraft. Meanwhile, Stafford and Cernan were still circling in the clouds in the second T-38. They had no idea what had happened to their flight partners. Air traffic controllers were confused by the two planes in flight attempting different abort actions after the initial missed approach. And moreover, no one on the ground knew who was in the crash plane. After some delay, Stafford and Cernan were asked to identify themselves and given permission to land, but they were not informed of the crash until on the ground. Although personally distraught over the loss of his close colleagues and friends, Stafford acted as NASA's chief contact on the scene until other personnel arrived to relieve him that day.
Now I have an excerpt from Gemini 8 astronaut Dave Scott's book called Two Sides of the Moon. It was tragic. We had all come from high-risk environments. I had lost friends before. A year after we joined the space program, a good friend from Edwards, Ted Friedman, had died trying to eject after a goose hit the windscreen of his T-38. But the loss of Charlie and Elliot was particularly sad and demoralizing. It had a bad effect on the program, too. Jiminy was still pretty fragile. We had launch vehicles blowing up and trouble with the Agena target vehicles. It was a crucial time. People started worrying more, fearing we were in a run of bad luck. It was especially tough on the wives and children. They really went through it. Everything stopped for the funeral. It was held with full military honors at Arlington National Cemetery. The memorial services in Houston were a sad, depressing affair. As a tribute to both men, NASA's T-38s flew a missing man formation over the surface. With the lead plane pulling away from the remaining three, to symbolize those missed. But we could not go into a deep state of mourning. We simply had to press on with the program. And that is the end of the excerpt. As expected, there was an investigation for the crash. NASA named a seven-man board to investigate the accident, led by Chief of the Astronauts Office, Alan Shepard, the board looked into all aspects of the tragedy. Aircraft maintenance, pilot experience, medical histories, and weather conditions. Shepard's group listened to testimony from everyone who had anything to say. Then they sifted through the wreckage for clues, and finally they drew their conclusions. The board found nothing wrong with the aircraft. It had functioned properly until the moment of impact. Within the past six months, C. and Bassett had renewed their instrument flying certificates. Before and during the flight, both men had been in good physical and mental condition, as attested by medical examinations and by reported pre- and in-flight conversations. Furthermore, C. was reputed to be an excellent test pilot, careful, judicious, and technically competent. He should never have crashed at all. Weather appeared to have been the major contributing cause, and pilot error prompted by desire not to lose sight of the field had carried them too low. The final verdict was pilot error caused by poor visibility due to bad weather. In his memoir, Deke Slayton was less diplomatic calling C's piloting skills, quote, old womanish, end quote. But others, including Neil Armstrong, who had worked with C on the backup crew for Gemini 5, have since defended C's piloting ability. On March 22, 1966, spacecraft number 9, on its way to the flight dock for shipment to Cape Kennedy, passed an American flag flying at half-mast at the McDonnell plant. 
The next day, Elliot C. and Charles Bassett, attended by their fellow astronauts, were buried in Arlington National Cemetery across the Potomac from the nation's capital. NASA assigned the Gemini 9 Prime crew to Stafford and Cernan, marking the first time in the agency's manned spaceflight history that a backup crew had taken over a mission. The capsule was renamed Gemini 9A. On March 21st, Jim Lovell and Edwin Aldwin were given the backup duties. There would be no delay in the launch schedule. It is interesting to note that if the accident did not happen, Buzz Aldrin would not have been assigned a Gemini mission. Therefore, he would not have been chosen for the Apollo 11 mission, during which he became the second man to walk on the moon. Elliot C. and Charles Bassett live on in their memorials. Both C. and Bassett's names are listed on the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center's Space Mirror Memorial, as well as the fallen astronaut plaque placed on the moon by Apollo 15. In the 1998 miniseries From the Earth to the Moon, C. was played by Steve Zahn. A family-approved account of C. and Bassett's life and careers appears in the 2003 book Fallen Astronauts by space historians Colin Burgess and Kate Doolin. C. was honored as a distinguished alumni of the Highland Park High School in 2010. A memorial was established for C. by the Alumni Association of the UCLA Engineering Executive Program, from which C. earned his Master of Engineering degree in 1962. A trophy was designed that incorporated a Gemini capsule and was labeled the Elliott M. C. Memorial Award for Outstanding Engineering Paper. The trophy was presented annually for many years to a senior engineering student, submitting an essay judged to be the best description of engineering's contribution to society. Texas Tech University dedicated an electrical engineering research laboratory building in Bassett's honor in November 1996. In attendance that day in November 1996 was fellow Texas Tech graduate and future astronaut Commander Rick Husband, who would himself die seven years later in the Space Shuttle Columbia STS-107 accident in 2003. Thanks for listening to this archive episode of the Space Rocket History Podcast. 
If you are financially able, please support the podcast by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks.